Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're going to be discussing how to embrace your empathy. Denise and I get a lot of emails from people who basically say to us, okay, I get that I'm an empath. I understand that I need to protect myself from picking up on everyone else's stuff. But I want to learn more about how to embrace my empathy, how to be empowered by it. So that is the topic of our show. And in honor, and I guess in honor, I don't know if that's the right term, uh, Denise has decided to pull a card from Judith Orloff's deck. Do you want to start us off, Denise? I do. Thank you. It's uh, Judith Orloff's The Power of Surrender cards. And just randomly before we got on the air, I, I was shuffling and then it, we clicked on. And the card that came up is Surrender the Habit of People Pleasing. Speak your needs and be true to yourself. Focus on your own happiness instead of always trying to make everyone else happy, which I think is such a core level thing for all of us as empaths. I do too, and I think that's one of the top skills to employ if you're looking to embrace your empathy is to stop trying to please everyone and to look at, honestly, ways in your life where you are trying to do that. I do it in all ways in my life. I was just in traffic this morning dropping my child off at school, and there's this huge, long line of traffic. Nobody's moving. The light finally turns green. There's a car trying to pull into our lane, and I just felt bad for him, so I let him go in front of me, and the car behind me beeps. My daughter's going, Mom, stop being so nice. (laughs) And I thought, hmm, was I trying to be nice in that moment or was I trying to please everyone? I don't know. Okay, that's that's a huge, huge thing. I had a situation a couple days ago where I had to be assertive. And even though I can be strong and independent and all those things, if I have to, a confrontation isn't my favorite thing. And I kind of suck at it. But I had to really word some things. But I noticed before I picked up the phone to make the call, physically, I had the anxiety, the flipped stomach, the fear-based stuff. It all hit like a big, like, and exactly what you just said. I had to think, why am I not taking care of myself? And I'm so worried about how this is going to impact the other person. And it it was fine once I did it. And it felt good when it was over. But even at the initial part of the conversation, I was having a physical reaction to standing up for myself and not trying to make it okay for the other person. And it wasn't mean or anything like that, but it was something I needed to do. So do you have that happen too? Right. Oh, to- never. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing. That must be awful. <laughs> It, doesn't it seem like it's getting worse, though, or, or better? I don't know. It's a, a flip, flip the switch with the more and more sensitive we become. And I think as empaths, we are getting more and more sensitive as the vibration raises on the planet and the vibration raises within ourselves and we're more aware of who we are and what we're doing here. But also the, the, the whole physical shell thing of being more um, physically intuitive to things and feeling things more deeply, whether it's someone else's emotions or, and I know that's one of the traits of being an empath is we suck it all up. But have you seen that lately too, like feeling things more physically? Yes, but I have grown a lot 
through that difference of needing to please everyone and, and wanting to please myself. And I really think, especially those of us who are empaths and parents of empaths, we need to model that assertiveness from an early age. And I'll give you some examples. I'll never forget on my first date with Mike, we went out to this restaurant and I ordered lasagna and it came to me and it was burnt. I mean, the whole top was just a black crust. And he said, you need to send that back. And I thought, no, no, it's fine. I'll just take this little burnt piece off. And I took my fork and knife and I peeled away the burnt piece and I ate the rest of the lasagna. And he was mortified. And he said, no, no, no. And he called the waitress over and he said, please tell your chef that you have delivered my girlfriend a burnt piece of lasagna and she needs a new one. Wow. And I remember looking at him in awe, like, how did you do that? As a kid. (laughs) Superman stuff. I mean, really, it was like a superpower. (laughs) As a kid, I remember we'd be at restaurants and my mom would say, oh, run up and ask for some more ketchup. And I'd say, no. That made me nervous. When I started to drive and I became her errand girl, she'd give me a bag of clothes from Macy's and a receipt. Can you please take this and return it for me? No. That mortified me. I couldn't do that stuff. It it was so odd to me because in class, when I would sit in my classes with teachers, I raised my hand, I offered my points, I asked questions. It was weird places in my life where I was very, very shy. So as a mom, I make my kids do stuff like that all the time. And I'm so happy to say that even though they are empathic and incredibly compassionate, they have no qualms about returning a steak that isn't cooked to their liking, about returning something, about asking for more of this or less of that. And so I do think it's something we can model. So yes, I do think that everything is changing as a collective consciousness where we're feeling things more. But on an individual level, I think we're also waking up to our own power. Exactly. You know, I told you just when you and I were just chatting, as we do as friends, I was sharing with you that quote I read by a psychologist who's teaching a class at Omega. She said, it's not that you lack assertiveness skills. It's that you don't trust the worthiness of what you have to say. Oh, and I think that is so important for empaths to hear is that we need to get in touch with the worthiness, the value, the importance of our needs, even if it's just for more ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you just nailed it too with parents of empaths. Of, and I've shared this before, one of my greatest things in life is that neither of my sons have any problem whatsoever talking to anyone, speaking up, being on a stage, putting themselves out there. They don't have one shy bone in their bodies. And for someone who was debilitatingly shy in so many aspects of my life for so long, I, I, that's one of my happiest things in the world is that they're not. So it, I think right now for a lot of us, we're trying to break that cycle within ourselves, but also in the lineage. This is this is big, big work going on right now on the planet. Yeah, there really is. And I do think part of embracing your empathy is embracing sacred selfishness, that you have a right to state your needs. 
I wanted to mention this article you and I had read for this show. It came on, uh, it's from LonerWolf.com. And on there, they mention an acronym for embracing empathy that I thought would be really interesting to discuss. The acronym is called SOAR, and it stands for Surrender, Observe, Accept, and Release. And so part of these techniques is to surrender, meaning, okay, tune into yourself, figure out what you're feeling, go to the root of it. Why are you feeling this way? As empaths, oftentimes we will get into a mood and not understand where that mood comes from, especially if you're really busy like I am, and I know you are too, Denise, but sometimes I just go from one thing to another to another, and I don't slow down enough to think about where my moods are coming from. Like I might have a great, I might be in a wonderful, happy mood. And then all of a sudden I feel sad and I'm like, wait, where did that come from? And I have to slow down and stop and think, oh, that's right. I put the news on and that story made me so sad. And then I can surrender to that, observe it, accept it and release it. Okay. That's a new story. It made me sad. I will say a prayer and I will send Reiki when I do my meditation later tonight. So I think it's important to start to get in that habit of paying attention. This is why just practicing anything Eckhart Tolle has written about in terms of being present and mindful can really help empaths. We have to recognize what is making us sad, who is making us angry. It might be ourselves. It might be someone else. It might be a news story or a movie you read or a book. I still remember when I read Kite Runner. Denise, that book sent me into a depression for oh, a long time. That that book made me so sad. And I had to keep reminding myself, these are fictional characters. I think that that happens. We get so pulled into the emotion of it and so pulled into the story. I was watching something on Netflix the other night and I was trying to go to sleep and I kept playing it over in my head because it was sad and I thought, why did I do this? <laughs> why did I, you know, plant that seed in my head? And it, it kind of triggers similar sad parts of old memories or other old things that need to be dealt with in my own life. And I, I just am so hell-bent right now on bringing up that vibration and not getting stuck in that mud hole anymore. I know. I do the same thing. You know how I love my crime stories? Yes. Well, I listen, I listen to Nancy Grace's podcast because she cracks me up. Do you ever listen to her? I haven't. Friend. Okay. She's so funny and she just, she takes crime stories and she is, she is an empath, but she is an empowered empath. And so anyway, she was doing a whole show on that Netflix series, The Keepers, mm-hmm. which is about all sorts of terrible things. Uh, not the least of which, or the, I don't know, but a a nun is murdered. And I thought, um, maybe I should watch this. Everyone's talking about it. So many people have told me, have you seen The Keepers? I watched the first episode and was just, it was not good. It made me so sad. And just what you were saying, not only was I sad for what all these people went through at the hands of this evil man, I don't want to give him the title of priest, but then it made me overthink what's going on with my church? What's going on with everything that's being hidden? What is faith about? And I think that's something that empaths need to balance. I like that I overthink things. I really do. 
I like my mind. I, I appreciate my intellect. I love my curiosity. I, I really feel bad for people that get bored easily. Mm-hmm. I'm mystified by them. I don't understand how you can get bored in this world. But I, I like that I overthink things, and yet I have to balance it and say, okay, stop. And that's what the surrender, observe, accept, release is all about. So the the observing part is just getting into that mindset as you go throughout your day where you're just observing yourself, you're observing your emotions, you're observing other people around you, and you're starting to pay attention to how people make you feel. How do places make you feel? I I go to Walmart once a month to stock up on a bunch of stuff. I came home, I went on Monday after, I went at 4.30 on a Monday, which I know, I know. It's the only time I had to do it. I came home. My kids helped me unpack the bags, and I flopped myself across the couch like like a beached whale. And they were like, Mom, do you have a headache? I said, no, I just have to de-Walmartize myself. Like, that place (laughs) really affects me. So pay attention to places. Some empaths are really affected by weather. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, where rainy days will bring them down or sunny days will make them feel pressure to do something fun. So just start to observe how everything and everyone is making you feel. And then that third stage, accept, don't resist your feelings. I think that's something empaths do a lot. They don't like the feeling of sadness or anger or fear or worry or anxiety. I mean, who does? But empaths in particular will resist it, push it down, ignore it, or project it. So rather than feeling their own sadness, they'll focus on someone else's sadness and try to fix that. So when you get into this habit of accepting your emotions, you will dance with your shadow side, as you know, Carl Jung was, was teaching us and then Debbie Ford wrote about. We need to do that dance. There are lessons in those negative emotions. There's a really great essay I used to teach every semester when I taught critical reading it as an English teacher. It's called Why We Crave Horror Movies by Stephen King. It's a very short essay. But he says in there that as a society, we have been taught that our negative emotions are bad and that they need to be pushed down into the basement of despair. And he believes the reason why his books and subsequent movies are so popular is because people have this need to explore and feel their negative emotions. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I agree. You know, what's interesting is when I lived in different parts of the country, I used to, I I think Stephen King is an amazing, amazing writer. He's a very, very gifted man. And I would read his books because I loved reading about the descriptions of Maine. He sets a lot of his, his work in Maine. He lives here in Bangor, um, this, all of those things. I could read it, but I've never been able to watch his movies. Isn't that strange? And I wonder, is it the clairvoyance that I can read it and, and get through it and enjoy the hell out of it, but I can't watch it on a screen because then it just freaks me out? Yeah, I, I can't read his books most of his books either or watch his movies because they make me feel isolated. That's the one word that comes to mind. I feel very isolated and alone when I'm reading his books. Now, I love, I love, love, love his short stories. I think because I can dabble there for a little bit, but not for 500 pages. <laughs> um, I, love, I love his non-horror type stuff. 
like Dolores Claiborne. I mean, I guess you could call that kind of horror. But his, most of his recent work isn't as isolating and, and sad as some of his earlier works. But yeah, I think there is a difference when you are watching it on, on screen and you're engaged in that world. Whereas when you're reading it, it's easier to differentiate between the two. Mm-hmm. Now, once you surrendered to what's going on within and without you and you've observed it and accepted it and tried to process it, then that last stage, according to this article on Loner Wolf, is to release it. And that's often a really difficult step for empaths is letting that sadness go, letting that anxiety go, letting that anger or worry go. Yet we need to. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. You can employ a self-soothing strategy and th- these can be different for all of us, right? I'm not suggesting you start carrying your blanket from childhood with you when we say self-soothing. It could be taking a little break to go for a walk. It could be taking 10 minutes to read a happy book or taking 15 minutes to sit down and, you know, call a friend that always cheers you up. It could be just saying a mantra over and over again. If I get really anxious or stressed out about, or worried about something, I will just sit there and go, I am breathing. Right now, I am breathing. And that helps me to kind of get my focus back. I like to pray on either rosary beads or mallow beads because that helps to get my focus back. I do think, though, that that release step is hard for empaths. What do you do to release your emotions once you've accepted them? The things that you just mentioned, and years ago when things were pretty dark, there were a lot of challenges being volleyed, and I was writing, and right in the depth and churning through all this stuff, and immediately I heard catch and release, and I stuck with that phrase because you, you catch it, you look at it, you observe it, and then you release it, and I think that's a nice little quick trigger to, to just keep in your mind of, I don't have, I don't, and this was when I was in the thick of things and I didn't have time to dredge. I had to kind of where you are now, right around that time frame of there isn't time to wallow. You know, there's always a kid that needs to be somewhere and a job you need to get. It's boom, boom, boom. So if you have some quick little thing you can do just to, I, I think it's insanely important to validate what you're feeling as empaths and as human beings on the planet and to we have so much empathy for everyone else. We have so much compassion for everyone else. We, we can feel it. We can see it. We can sense it. But most of us, I'm not saying all, but most of us have a really, really hard time gifting ourselves with that same level of compassion and caring and empathy that we always give out to everyone else. And I think when you can observe the relationship, excuse me, observe whatever the the trial, the tribulation, whatever is dark with you and let it go. You might have to revisit it over and over and over again, but keeping yourself stuck is not going to be proactive for you and it's not being kind to yourself. Exactly. And, And focusing on fixing other people's problems is not going to be proactive for you either. Right, And I, I think also surrounding yourself with positive people when possible is a great strategy. And surrounding yourself, I call it feeding your mind. One of the things that cognitive therapy teaches us is that the first hour of your day, your brain is so wide open. It's like an open slate. And so you want to spend that time feeding your mind really, really, really positive things. It was interesting. I was 
doing a reading for someone last week, and that was one of the things that her guide said was that the first hour of her day sets the compass for her whole day. So how she spends that first hour kind of directs her whole day. And that message came through so strongly that after the phone call, I did some research on it. And it's actually a cognitive therapy technique. They say that your mind is, I guess it's like priming the pump, as they say. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, we should spend that first hour engaging our mind in positive things. So maybe don't turn off the alarm and like what I do a lot, I'll lay in bed and I'll think, oh, I have to do this and this and this, and then I have to do that. You know, if you just go through your to-do list, the first thing, not necessarily a good idea. If you turn on the TV to watch the morning news, maybe that's not the best idea for us empaths. Um, Instead, try filling your head that first hour with positive things, whether it's prayer, meditation, taking a quick walk, doing a yoga or qigong, stretching, breathing, reading something uplifting, a meditative book. I have a book of Rumi next to my bed that I like to read a lot in the morning, things like that. But go into your day gently. I, I'd like to add a little, that's why I journal every every single morning. And when the, the boys were home and younger, I would get up before them. I'd set the, the clock for crazy early. And it always doesn't start out positive, but I've joked with a friend of mine. She'll say, what are you doing? I said, well, I just wrote myself off the cliff. And it's a way to I'll have coffee and it's quiet. And it might be if something's really bothering me or I'm upset or I'm trying to well, so I'm going to use the same example. The person that I had to have the uncomfortable conversation with prior to making the call, that was what I had written about in the morning and I kind of walked myself through it and validated for myself why it was okay for me to do that and make that call. But I always, always feel better after I write. I mean, I can count on one hand in the course of a year when it, because it's, it's I think for me and for a lot of us, it's validating that our, our what we're thinking is, is um, I don't know the words for this. That's great. I write all the time and I don't have the words. <laughs> important uh, yeah because of it, value yeah but it, it all but it's exactly i didn't know this was a cognitive strategy it's just always something to help get centered within to start the day and deflect all that noise all that that worry that stress the things that we might get oh and i'll I, even to this day i write about my children my family of origin what's going on in my life the dogs it's just it's just free fall writing. And I think if, if you're having a hard time, and I'm sorry if I'm beating this horse to death with always bringing up the journaling, but I think for a lot of us, if we have a hard time expressing what we're feeling or what we need in our lives to other people, sometimes if we start with ourselves, it makes it easier. I agree. I totally agree. Now, there are so many great things about being an empath. We tend to be more spiritual. Uh, compassionate, open-minded. We're very in tune to others. We have great big hearts. But there's, you know, some negative things about being an empath too. We tend to be a little too introverted. We tend to attract energy vampires. We can get involved in codependent relationships with this need to fix others. So another strategy I think that is really important for empowering your empathy is learning to set boundaries I know we always say that on this show, 
But I want to talk about something different than just setting boundaries with, you know, negative energy vampire type people in your life. I want to talk a moment about setting boundaries with yourself. And I don't think that's something empaths think about a lot. But we need to do that with ourselves. Think about what are the avoidance tactics that you use in your life to avoid being happy, to avoid living your soul purpose, to avoid practicing sacred selfishness. I know for me, it's work and my kids. I will focus on work, I'll focus on my children, and I will avoid, avoid, avoid what I need to do for myself. And so I have had to learn to set boundaries with those avoidance tactics. And it's not comfortable even still when I have to say no to work or I still haven't really learned how to say no to my kids. I mean, last night... (laughs) Last night I was try I'm trying really, really hard to do this thing where I just read for an hour after dinner. Because I don't know about you, Denise, but that time I get so tired right around that time and then I get another burst of energy around nine PM. So I've just been trying to read after dinner and if it you know, if one of my kids comes up and says, Hey, can you read over this essay and help me? I'm not gonna say, No, I'm reading now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I will get back to the reading of the book. So all I'm asking is for listeners to think about how can you set boundaries with yourself? Do you have to clean your house today? Do you really need to call that friend back in this moment? Do you need to work an extra hour? Where can you set a boundary with yourself that is sending your soul a message? Yes, I am worthy of self-care. Very well put. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, that kind of goes into, Christian Northrup has this whole thing that she talks about super traits for empathic people. And one of the things she mentions is acknowledging you're an empath is the first step. And of course, I had to immediately think of all the 12-step spoofs of, hi, my name is Denise and I'm an empath. Hi, Denise. So I really think that acknowledging who you are but 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 she she has a quote from from what she'd written it she said if you're an empath compassion is your calling you are hardwired since birth to anchor the light on the planet and i love that because i think that's what we're all trying to do is when we acknowledge that within ourselves and we acknowledge that okay yes i am highly sensitive i am very compassionate i do feel things deeply instead of using it as seeing it as a negative and I'm always being hurt or I'm always having to watch my boundaries. Instead, kind of turn that key a little bit to, wow, I shine a bright light. I shine a really bright light and I want to step into that. That's beautiful. That's really, really true. I really believe that overall what we're trying to say is that just accepting yourself exactly as you are, where you are, is the main key to embracing your empathy, not making excuses for yourself, to others, to yourself, with little things and big things, just accepting who you are. I have a really tiny example for that. My daughter spends a lot of time with this other family, her best friend's family, and they're very, very lovely people. And she came home from a sleepover, and I was making dinner, and she sat down and I don't know if this is because we're all little empaths in my home or or what, but we're very we're very, very picky eaters. 
We just, all my kids are, I am, we're not foodies. We don't talk about food. I don't know. We're just not into food. And she said, you know, the family always makes fun of me because I don't eat fish and I don't eat pork. And, you know, I don't like spicy foods and blah, blah, blah. And she said, and it was kind of an issue at dinner last night because they wanted to go to this fish restaurant. And I kept saying to them, I love salad. Like, you can take me anywhere. Any restaurant has salad. And they were like, no, no, if you don't eat fish, we're not going to the fish restaurant. And so they went to a different restaurant. And she felt terrible about it all night that she had, like, taken this <laughs> lovely night at a fish restaurant away from them. And, and she was worried about it. And, and I said to her, look, we're just not food people. We There's a lot of food groups we don't like or eat. And, and that's fine. You don't have to make excuses for it. And maybe, you know, just just say, oh, yeah, sure. Fish restaurant is great. And then when you get there, just say, I'm not as hungry as I thought and order a salad. So I, I know that's a really minor example, but that's something that empaths tend to worry about. So you know what people down with head? a restaurant choice. So did hmm. she feel like she couldn't eat a salad when they went to the second restaurant? I mean, that would be yes, where I would... exactly. She got a big plate of pasta. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I just think not making excuses for yourself in any situation, not letting other people, and that, that family was not trying to make her feel less than because she doesn't no. eat fish. Not you at know, all. It was just her sensitivity was, was just heightened in that moment. I mean, she's 15, so everyone has heightened emotions when you're a teenager, but then you add being sensitive, empathic, and intuitive on top of that, and, and it's a whole mess of emotions. But just accepting yourself wherever you are on this path is going to empower you. Exactly. We always talk on this show about learning psychic protection techniques. So I won't go into that in detail right now. Uh, But I just do want to say if if you are empathic and you're learning to embrace it, you do have to employ psychic protection strategies that work for you in tandem with everything that we are saying. I really like books by Cassandra Eason, Ted Andrews, and Judy Hall, who all have books on psychic protection, but there's a lot out there. So just go to your library or your bookstore and and look at what works for you. I also think that if you spend time trusting your intuition, this is a hard thing for empaths. Most empaths are intuitive. It does not go hand in hand. There are intuitives out there who aren't very empathic. And I could name names of people on TV, but I won't. But I'm sure you guys have seen intuitives who aren't all that empathic. There are empaths who aren't intuitive very much at all. But the majority of empaths do tend to be intuitive. If you can learn to really trust your intuition and trust those inner instinct, initial feelings that you are picking up about people, about your day, about your decision you're making, about yourself, you will go yards and leaps and bounds in learning to embrace your empathy. I think empaths in particular are taught maybe even from a very, or maybe definitely from an early age, to ignore their intuition. We're told, oh, respect your elders, listen to your teachers. Who was I reading? I was reading some important person's book. And they were saying that 
they raise their children not to respect their elders. Oh. I remember sitting up going, wait, 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 what? <laughs> and this person said, I don't want my children to respect someone simply because they've lived on this earth longer than they have. Kids can get into a load of trouble by blindly respecting adults. I have taught my children to respect people who have earned their respect. As a teacher, what do you think about that? I'm going more as a human being on the planet. I have mixed feelings about that. I think that, all right, I'm just going to get on the soapbox for a second. I think that one of the huge things culturally and socially that is denigrating the, the fabric of society right now is that we're not treating anyone with respect or we're being so selective about mm. who we respect that we're, we're, we're shifting societally as, and it concerns me a lot. It concerns me. We've brought this up before that why is it considered like you're, you're doing something so over the top nice if you hold a door for someone or return a shopping cart or pick up some trash in the woods when you're working? You don't have to, when you're walking. You don't have to. You do it because it feels like the right thing to do. And I guess that right. statement, I, I really have strong mixed feelings about it. And I, I did raise my children and, and was raised very much of respect your elders. It's the right thing. And it's interesting I think culturally, that's a real cultural trigger, because I know if we talk to people in other parts of the world, that would never, ever even be remotely considered as not respect your elders. Well, it's funny, you know, I don't, my parents didn't really raise me to respect my elders in, in, a, in a different way. I remember when we moved, we moved in March of my second grade year, which is a really hard time to move. And that new school said I missed the gifted program by one point, which made my mom go crazy. So she went down to the principal and was like, oh, no, no, my daughter's in the gifted program. You put her in. She just went off. So in, I went to the gifted program with this teacher. And I instantly did not like her. I just didn't like anything about her. And I came home and I said to my mom, I don't like those teachers. She's really mean. She found out I was left-handed and pulled three desks to the front of the classroom on my first day and made me try each desk to see which felt better with my freaky weird left hand. So that upset me. And so anyway, my mom was like, oh, well, you know, she's supposed to be the best. She's the teacher for the gifted program. Give it a chance. I was like, all right. And then we had to draw some picture. I don't know what. And I drew a son. And apparently she had told the class all year not to draw smiley faces on your son but I had just gotten to class, so I didn't get that message. Mm-hmm. And so I drew little sunglasses on my son and a smiley face. And she, <laughs> and she locked me in the supply closet. <gasps> I had, that was the punishment that she, when kids didn't listen to her, she put me in, you know, those gray supply closets that were yeah. in classrooms. Yes. Hers was empty so that kids could go in there when they were bad. And it scared the crap out of me. And I came home. I told my mom. And, oh, my gosh, that school thought they saw Carol's wrath. She, (laughs) I thought she was going to sue the school. And so they they put me into another classroom with a wonderful teacher named Mrs. Burroughs, who I adored. But my mom always did that. Whenever teachers were mean or rude, and, and I've had my share throughout my education, she would always say, that's 
that's just a mean person. I don't care if she's your teacher. I, and even when I went to Catholic school, I don't care if she's a nun, you know, she'd go off. And, and so I do think there is some good to that. I see both sides of it, so I'm not disagreeing with you. But I do think that as empaths, we need to just listen to our intuition and stop blindly following along with what everyone is telling us about someone. If we listen to our intuition, we can see through the veneer, the facade that people's authority or labels or income or letters after their name give to them. You know, that's something else my mom would always say. I don't care if they have MD past their name. If they don't have bedside manners, I'm firing them. And, and I do think that we need to listen to what we are intuitively picking up about someone, not listen to what they are showing us with their smile or their, you know, confidence or what have you. I agree with that 100%. I really, really do. And I want to just add in that it was very interesting to me when my sons became men and I would watch them like with, with overbearing bosses or in college situations or whatever it might be, that they were able to employ exactly what you just said. So I think there's a fine line between allowing ourselves to be led down the gilded path just because someone is who, whatever, or to be able to honor ourselves. And that's exactly what you're saying is trust your gut with people. If it doesn't feel right, look within and say, I don't need to blindly follow this person or listen to what they have to say. Right. And that's why being a critical thinker is such an important skill. We need to do that with everything, with news with leaders that we're voting for, with even HOAs. I mean, anything that's going on, you need to listen to your intuition and think, what are my feelings telling me about this person? What do I feel to be true about this person? And we need to do that with our own decisions. Empaths traditionally have an incredibly hard time making decisions for themselves from little things such as where do you want to eat today to big things like I don't feel that this job is for me anymore, but I'm afraid to take the leap to a new job. Empaths need to learn to trust their intuition. If you are getting a message over and over and over again that it's time for change, you need to learn to trust that and to validate that. In a couple of weeks, Denise and I are going to do a show that we're doing some research for now on discerning your ego messages versus your intuitive messages. So I don't want to beat this with the horse now because we're going to devote a whole show to that, but really starting to accept and honor what the interior messages, your higher self, your inner self is telling you is really, really, really crucial to empowering yourself. I have some books I'd like to throw out there for people. Um, and I will, I will make a list of these and put them on our Facebook page uh, a book I've mentioned, I think, a lot on this show that I really enjoyed is called Sacred Selfishness by Bud Harris. There's, um, of course, Dr. Judith Orloff, really anything by her, but the Complete Guide for Developing Empathic Gifts is a really good place to start. The Empath Survival Guide by her. There's The Empath Experience by Sidney Campos. Rose Rose Tree has a book called The Empowered Empath. Um, and Judy Dyer has a good book on being an empath as well. So like I said, I'll put those on our Facebook page. I think, and I know Denise, you agree because we're both educators, but really and truly, I, I believe listening or reading up on what an empath is, is 
just a really great way to build your toolbox for awakening to and embracing your sacred empathy. Yes, I agree. I think that it's important to exactly what you said, get comfortable with yourself, accept yourself for who you are, set the boundaries, don't play the victim, all of those things, but also learn to shift the energy so that if you are caught on the loop tape and it's negative, or even in your your home or your work environment, do some things that lift your vibration and bring you joy. It might be bringing plants into your, your home or your work environment. And I had read this a long time ago that broadleaf plants like a philodendron will suck up that negative energy. That's the kind of their job is to help clear the energy, clear the space. Uh, crystals, which you always advocate for, and surrounding yourself with, with beauty, whatever that looks like to you. And beauty to you might be, I'm going to leave the house and walk down by the river and look at the trees starting to bud. Or it might be, I want that beautiful painting on my wall. Or I want to reupholster my couch in this fabric that I just love, love, love. It doesn't matter. Whatever your form of beauty is, that's going to raise your vibration and also help deflect that negative energy. We're all work in progress on learning how to love and accept ourselves. And any little tiny baby steps we can take towards that brings a sense of balance and peace and strength that allows us to function more fully in our everyday life as an empathic person. Yeah, I agree. Very well said. Well, before we close out, I just wanted to remind everyone that Denise and I have an awesome webinar coming up in June for beginner mediums. It's called Mediumship 101. It's going to be the four Thursdays in June from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. What we love about this webinar is that everybody gets to practice their mediumship, learn how to connect to the other side in a really safe, connected, supportive environment. You're partnered up with new people each week to practice exercises that are sent to you. We meet online through Zoom webinar every week. If you can't make one of the nights, each class is recorded and emailed to your inbox the next morning, so that makes it very flexible. You're also invited to our private Facebook group for everyone who has already taken the class, which really enables you to continue those connections and keep practicing your mediumship and build your network of supportive, like-minded people. Those webinars you can sign up for on either my website, samanthafay.com, or Denise's, which is thegratefulmessenger.com. Don't forget to always show up, do great work, and share your light. Bye-bye, everyone.